Okay, it's three o'clock now. So I know many of you would have been at the workshop today. I always find that a bit strange, workshop, because at Bodhinyana Monastery, a workshop is where we have the saws and the hammers. And the <laughs> But anyway, as long as it was useful for you, well, that's wonderful. But as well as having an understanding of the Dhamma, it's also to do the practice as well. It's one of my favorite sayings was, some of the Dhamma part of 372, first 372, starts with that. There is no uh, wisdom, panya, without the deep meditations of the jhanas. There's no jhanas without wisdom. But in one who has jhana and wisdom, the deep meditation, sawe nibbana santike, they're in the presence of nibbana. There's a powerful statement, which I remember reading a long time ago. It meant you do really need both of those, the deep stillness and the instructions. And trying to find metaphors for these, I use the metaphor of the, the treasure map. That's the Dhamma. It shows you just where to go, what to do, what to find. But it's the, the flashlight, is the deep meditations, the jhanas. And if you have both the flashlight and the map, there's a good chance that you're in the presence of Nibbana. You can actually see through. And all that which you heard today, I hope. I did hear that you were told some love poetry by Ajahn Sujata. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> There's all sorts of unexpected things, but that will not lead you to Nibbana. But nevertheless, much of the other stuff does. But anyhow, once one knows about meditation and the, the map, it becomes quite easy to find one's way into these deep wisdoms and insights and senses of freedom. But because he was talking about freedom, liberation, what can that really mean? I don't mean by defined in texts, but liberation, how you feel liberated. A lot of times when you're meditating, do you really feel freedom? Or do you really feel that there's something to do, there's something to get rid of, there's a job to be done? And if you feel that there's a job to be done, something to achieve, something to get rid of, a lot of time that degree of lack of freedom gives you the sense of wanting to do something, having to do something, having to get rid of things. And that becomes one of the biggest obstacles of meditation. In all the years which I have been meditating, it is the sheer joy of meditation which leads you to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Not the trying to achieve something, not the trying to get rid of something. Those are like kind of obstacles but the ability just to, to find some peace inside the mind and the peace you recognize as a liberation, as a freedom from this thing inside of you which is always demanding you do something, always saying this is not good enough, always thinking there must be something more. You go deeper than that and you get free from that. And it's a weird experience 
at first many people have the impression that if you're free from having to do anything, that would mean that you get lazy and fall asleep. But the opposite happens. When you're not wanting to do things, when you're free from having to do things, when you really can relax and you enjoy that freedom from wanting, from having to want, you're content, easily satisfied, then what that does, it creates a sense of peace in the mind. You don't have to do anything, you don't do anything. You'll become more and more still. And stillness is not a, a, a static state. It may be seem strange to say, but when you do experience stillness inside your meditation, it doesn't stay static. It gets more static, and then extremely static, and then wonderfully static, and then deeply static. It keeps on increasing in its power, in its bliss. This is a one wonderful way of understanding meditation, is understanding that it is how the mind uh, again becomes free of the body. It's still not real freedom yet, but when you are free of this body, I think many of you are old enough now, you know, to know it's this body is sometimes unreliable. You may eat the right food or eat the wrong food. You may exercise. You may uh, do all these courses to make the body healthy. But sometimes, no matter how much you try, sometimes it doesn't work and the body gets very sick. Before I was a monk, I used to do yoga. Uh, you know, just the old Hatha yoga. And I remember I used to follow this uh, course on TV. I think it was Yoga for Health, I think it was called. And of course, I had this beautiful young lady on the uh, doing it. And that was one of the attractions. But the guy, I was a layman at the time, the guy who was doing it was also so fit and agile and so bendy all over. And after I became a monk, I asked some of the friends, did you remember that program? I said, oh yeah, what happened to that program? And say just one of the guy who was, um, who was leading this program, he walked off the set one day and dropped down dead. And that kind of shocked me. It was one of those little messages there, you may be able to look after your body, you may have a very healthy body on the outside, but sometimes, well not sometimes, all the time it is unreliable. So instead of being too concerned about the body, it's much more concerned about the mind, and how you can liberate the mind from the body. And that's of course what happens when we do our meditation. We sit down, we become reasonably still, reasonably comfortable, and just let go. And what happens is the mind gets more comfortable more still, more at ease. And it's just the nature of the human mind. It will incline, tend towards where it finds happiness and joy. It's something which I notice as a monk. You know, first of all, when you become a monk, you give up so much of your pleasures. You can't have a TV, you, know, you can't have a girlfriend, you can't watch the football you used to like. All of that stuff you have to renounce. But you renounce some things and you go and attach to something else in the body. You need some sort of pleasure in your body or mind in which to basically reside with 
some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, or some sort of place. Just like the body needs food, the mind needs some pleasure. And it's wonderful when you can notice that when the, body, the mind lets go of the body, you just relax it, it's like having a cat and you put it to bed. Or you have a car and you lock it up, park it and it's safe, you don't have to worry about it. When it disappears from your field of attention, you don't have to worry about it, it's safe, secure. So you can let it go and just reside in your mind. And when you start to reside in the mind and you get joy in residing in the mind, it's a natural phenomenon just when the body really relaxes, when the mind can let it go, it's a great sense of freedom. I mention this because there was these uh, cases of people having the old near-death experiences. And one of the people on my recent retreat was telling him that he had his near-death experiences and he was saying just exactly how it is usually explained it's very pleasant when you leave this body behind. All these people who do have near-death experiences, especially those people who have near-death experiences on, say, battlefields in a war, that when they do, as they say, float outside of the body, it's incredibly peaceful and beautiful and nice. It's pleasurable. And this is just some supporting um, arguments that why when you let the body disappear, it's more peaceful, more happy, more joyful. And that means it's attractive. And once they can learn how to just put the body down here, not worry about it and let the body vanish and disappear, those states of mind are very enjoyable. And those are what we call the bliss states of meditation. It's a freedom from a heavy sense of suffering, which is with the body. And even young bodies as well. You know, I know one young man who used to do it. He's still a young man. He can still get into his beautiful, blissful states of mind, even though the body was not really any problem at all. So this is actually how the meditation kind of attracts you. But of course, to be able to do that, it does take a lot of stillness. The stillness has to build up. The stillness is like a power. The stillness is like focusing the energy of the sun in a magnifying glass onto the grass. You keep it there, it builds up its energy, and you soon get a fire. This is very much like how the mind works. After a while of keeping it still, then it builds up a sense of joy and happiness. You're having f fun, delight, but not the type of delight which will agitate you, the delight which satisfies you. So this is what we do in our meditation, hopefully. There's so many ways of starting the meditation off. Uh, you know, sitting this way, doing a scan of the body, doing like a breath meditation or a, a bodily parts meditation, or what some of the other types of meditation I very rarely teach here, but sometimes I teach on retreats, is like reflecting on all of your goodness, all of your kindness. Things like jarganusati, which is a remembrance, recollection of you know, all of your generosity. Sati, all of your goodness, and never underestimate that. Because sometimes people always say they're not good enough. My goodness, you're more than good enough. It's one of the reasons why that we have such a, look at this Buddhist society we have here. 
and monastery, Damasara, and Bodhinyana, and Jhana Grove, and Kusala. It's amazing what you've done in these years. And you should be really inspired with yourselves. You know, each one of you has helped in each in a different way. You start reflecting on that. What does it do? It means you get inspired, your mind gets energy. Not your body. The mind gets energy. If you want your body to get energy, have a cup of coffee or something. But to get your mind having energy, reflecting on goodness, reflecting on your precepts, reflecting on how much you've given up in your life for others. And that actually gives you a sense of happiness. So many times in my life as a monk, I was surprised when I said, oh, okay, I'll renounce my meditation today so I can serve somebody else. I got joy out of that. So when I did have the opportunity to cross my legs and sit quietly, what I'd given up for others, you got back, sort of, you know, with interest, if you like, deep senses of happiness. And when you start to do that, your energy really builds up. When you close your mind, your eyes, it builds up inside the mind. And so that it's very easy to actually, to yeah, you're watching the breath just to relax into the meditation, but it's not really the breath you're watching. It's how the mind knows the breath that you're watching. It becomes a mental object. Something which I did say a lot about during my recent meditation retreat at Jhana Grove, that there comes a time in Anapanasati, that's just as an example, when you're watching your breath, but then the breath becomes delightful. It's supposed to become delightful, it's natural, it does. Where's it coming from? It's coming from the, the mind, it's a, it's a chitta sankara, it's a mind sense. You have six senses. Usually you watch the breath through the fifth sense, the body. Now you're being able to experience the breath through the sixth sense, the mind. Very close, but after a oh, while you can distinguish it. This is where the, the breath becomes almost like a mind object, especially the, the delight and the beauty. It's coming from your mind, the jitter, not your brain, nothing material. When that starts to happen, it's similar to people with out-of-the-body experiences. They've left their body and they go into a mental experience of the body, what they call the mind-made body. And this is where the mind builds up some energy and some joy. And that joy, again, is a big attraction to the path of meditation. You have fun with it. And this also attracts other people to meditate. They see you just come back from a retreat, you have a nice meditation, and your eyes are glowing. I don't mean literally glowing, but you know what I mean. It just You can see there's a lot of joy and happiness and peace inside. And that is a sign that the mind is being free from the body. And all that energy which we spend, actually we're starting to put it into this mind, this jitter of us, this sixth sense. And the more you do that, the more that the mind attracts that energy, the more powerful it becomes. And that is why that when people are meditating, you know, you may think you're just going to watch the breath or you're going to watch the body, you're going to do loving kindness. But after a while it becomes very beautiful and blissful. And when it does, you realize that you're turning towards the mind rather than the body. When you turn towards the mind, you can feel that joy and you can feel your body kind of slipping away. You can't feel it that strongly. 
And if you do hear things like sounds, it's like the sounds are just a long distance away. If you don't really hear, uh, see images, you've got your eyes closed. And even feelings in the body, it's like the body has mostly disappeared or almost totally disappeared. And this is actually where you realize your meditation is doing the job of letting things go, renouncing, disappearing. And from that you get these deep states of mind. Soon that joy becomes extremely strong. It's kind of irresistible except because of fear and excitement that people sometimes uh, exercise those. And they spoil this natural progress of meditation. In all of this, you don't have to do anything. Especially when this starts to happen. Yeah, maybe when you start meditation you can do something, but not too much. But as you get deep into the meditation, please avoid doing things. There's that simile which I've said in the recent meditation retreat and many other times. I keep repeating these similes because I want to hammer them into people about aircraft of the future in the cockpit. There won't be pilots and co-pilots and engineers or whatever. All there will be will be a dog and a captain. And the job of the captain is to feed the dog. And the purpose of the dog is to bite the captain if the captain touches anything. Kind of totally automatic. And I always thought that that was a wonderful simile for meditation. If I could somehow inject a dog inside your mind and make sure it bites you every time you try and do something in deep meditation, I think you'd all be enlightened by last week sometime. But I can't do that, but the simile is powerful. Get inside and just be still. And just allow that stillness to grow. As the stillness grows more and more, each one of you has some amazing experiences. You know, this meditation is incredibly profound. And you use that together with all the great Dhamma you've been taught today by Ajahn Sujata, Ajahn Bamali, and Venerable Sunya. Use that together and it becomes a very potent mix. You see things which you haven't seen before. Understand insights which were beyond you before. Your mind is powerful. Your mind can penetrate. And it's also the mind is courageous. It doesn't have that much fear. You feel safe, you feel power. You're not afraid of other powers which means you can see very deeply into things. And who knows, you know, get some of these great insights of enlightenment. So that's what meditation is all about. So, are you already meditating? That's supposed to be only the introduction. So anyway, let's get going with the real meditation now. So if you're not already comfortable, Please get your body into a nice, comfortable position. And when we can start the meditation. Because this is the last meditation of the season, range retreat starts tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but in a couple, well, celebrating it tomorrow at Bodhinyana. Won't be coming up here again for a while. So let's really get into it, if you possibly can. I know you're not beginners, all of you have been meditating here for a while. So let's really. Uh, not just mess around.
Nevertheless, I always, when I sit down, <laughs> just check my body. If there's an ache or a pain somewhere, sometimes it niggles the, the mind and you can't let the body go. But if the body is really comfortable, it's kind of easy to let the body go. There's nothing to do there. So you can do a, do a quick scan of your body. And look for any parts which need some attention. If you understand your body well, you've been mindful of it, you're not trying to ignore parts of it, but you can feel it, know it, and see if there's anything which needs to be adjusted. And once you've adjusted it, and it's comfortable, it's like your body feels safe. Like you've locked your car, it's got all of the alarms on, security on. You don't need to be concerned about it. You've locked out your house. It's safe. So you don't need to worry about it at all. So you have a sense of freedom. It's one thing which you don't have to think about. And then, even though this is a simple meditation, I do this so often, empathy questions. Now is the only time I will ever have in my life, right now. What am I aware of right now? What's right in front of my awareness? I choose that as my meditation object. Whatever it is, I don't try to analyze it, don't even try to define it. I don't ask, what is this? I just know the feeling, the emotion, the experience, without needing to give it a name. And that becomes the meditation object right now. And because sometimes we think we should be doing something, you add this last piece of advice, just to care for this object. Caring, which is being observant, and just being soft. Saying the door of my mind is open to whatever ha happens right now. I'm not going to judge. I don't have enough information to judge. I'm just going to know what it feels like right now. And just care for it. The caring makes it easier to be aware of this moment. It adds the important ingredient of kindness. So it does actually become kindfulness. We're in a quiet, comfortable place. There's not much to be aware of. 
There's always something happening right now. It usually starts with feelings in the body. It's not normal feelings of the body. It's starting to even now become how the mind experiences the body. It's knowing the body rather than feeling the body. I don't try and get anywhere or go anywhere. I stay here. And the more I stay here, the more I feel I go inside this moment. You don't go on to any next moment. You go inside where you already are. And I kind of program myself to be aware and welcome any feeling of joy, interest, beauty, anything positive which is happening in this moment. Because I know that will keep me here. If I can't perceive something joyful, after a while my mind will go off somewhere else. Often I use friendliness. I'm a friend to this meditation. Done it for so many times. And I enjoy my old friend meditation. If you do feel any joy now, that is coming from your mind. It's not hard to keep awareness of something so pleasant. And after a while, it kind of solidifies. You don't become aware of time. Time kind of vanishes. You go right inside of time in this present moment. So you don't know how many minutes pass by. I will look after that for you. Bring in the gong at the correct time. Your job is just to disappear disappear into the middle of time, into the middle of this moment, inside your body, inside your mind. <coughs> and I will be quiet now.
getting close to the end of this meditation. How still free are you? What does freedom feel like? What does the body feel like? I will now ring the gong three times. When the gong finishes sounding for that third time, a sign to come out from the meditation. I hope you enjoyed that.
Thank you. We do have some questions on the tablet, first of all. From Germany, from Bavaria, Hong Kong, USA. From Germany, what really is kindness and how do you generate kindness and peace towards a meditation when you are scared, sad and exhausted with no teacher to ask? how to find peace to meditate. You're seeing some opposites of peace. Scared, sad and exhausted. First of all, feeling scared. Usually you're pretty safe in this world. So sometimes the fear is an exaggeration. That in these moments you have nothing to be afraid of. And I do know this piece of meditation, it can sort of heal so many things in the body. So it's one of the things, it's not, it's not really reasonable to be afraid when you're meditating. Other things in life, yes, but meditation offers solutions. To be sad also, did mention earlier that when you can reflect upon your things like your precepts, your virtue, your goodness, your kindness, your generosity, and I don't mean like monetary generosity, just with your kindness helping other people. That is enormous source of joy and happiness and you know, energy too. And also, what was the other one? Scared, sad and exhausted, and even exhausted. Sometimes I'm exhausted when I have to teach a lot, work a lot, go around a lot, talk to people a lot, but when I meditated, that's like the liberating time, that's where you get more energy. So often, Wolfram in Germany, that when I meditate, it does the opposite of those conditions you were talking about that are scared, sad and exhausted. I stay in this moment. Just don't do very much. Now is the most important time. The thing right in front of you, the most important. And just be kind. Keep it simple and it does energize you. You feel fantastic. So it's a simple thing to do. You don't need that many teachers to teach you how to be in this moment. How to be whatever's in front of you, whatever. And learning how to be kind. What actually is kindness? You find what kindness is. I mentioned this a few days ago. If I have an ache or a pain in the body, I just go to that place. I am mindful of that area and I learn how to care for it. And if it really is kindness, everything relaxes and it gets very peaceful and heals itself. If I am not kind, if I'm trying to control it, get rid of it, make it different, then it gets worse, it's more tense. It's from that trial and error that I realize what kindness is.
Next question from Bavaria. Thank you so much for your kindness, Ajahn. Beginning meditation with body sweep, the feeling of the body vanishes quickly. Great. Doing breath meditation, mostly the mind gets used to it. Should I change the object more often? No, don't change it more often. Just stay where you are. Don't change. Just go deeper into it. You go deeper into a body sweep. We stop sweeping just wherever you are. You go deeper into that. Just like you realize that where you are right now, there's much more into that. This old simile, which I've said many times, especially in retreats, usually give a whole talk on this on a retreat about the thousand-petaled lotus. How a lotus, lotus opens up, how you go inside of it. You've got the outer layer of the lotus and you go in, 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 in. You don't go anywhere. You go to deeper in to where you already are. You don't change the meditation. You go deeper into whatever you're experiencing now. So you may be aware of your your knees or something. Go deeper into that feeling. What's it like? You're actually going away from your body into the mind that way. You go into your breath, you go right into your breath. What does this breath really feel like? Keep it there. And it's like you see the middle of it. You're going deeper into the center of things. And that's like the lotus is opening up. You're going into the inner layer of petals. That's actually how you go deeper in. You're not really, you are not changing the what you're watching. You just what you're already what you are already watching right now. You stay there and go deeper into it. It becomes a very simple meditation, very powerful. Tim, when people find life problems outside and that disturbs their meditation. Does it mean that once you try to minimize outside obstacles as well? You try to minimize outside obstacles, but you don't actually find that that's part of the world. You can't avoid obstacles. And if you try and run away and escape from them, they get worse. So instead of trying to uh, minimize outside obstacles, yeah, if you can, a lot of times I decide to ignore them. You can go in meditation. This is like what I was saying recently, that try and be a visitor, not an owner, to your life. If you own your life, then those obstacles are yours, and you have to do something with them. If you're a visitor to those obstacles, they're much easier to let go of. I'll be going to Bodhinyana Monastery after this. I'm not the abbot there. I'm only a visiting monk. <laughs> Always have been. If I am an owner, I have so much responsibility. But because I'm a visitor, it's so easy just to let things go. You know, you saw this afternoon, Ajahn Sujato is visiting. So he knows what it means to be a visitor. He can come here, do that, do whatever he wants. And that's what I do. Pretend I'm a visitor. If I don't get much work done, I'm sorry. I'm only visiting. 
glory, I think this is glory of Hong Kong. Recently, when I meditate, I find what feels like a part of my psyche that is locked up and I connect and I can't connect to it, no matter what. As a result of that, I don't love myself. I don't love others and I'm not able to be loved. It caused me so much suffering. How do you really connect with that part of myself? Should I just continue to do metta? You know, sometimes that part of the psyche which you feel you cannot connect with, maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe it's so far away. The right thing to do is to let it go and to be able to love yourself. You don't have to be perfect to be able to love yourself. Look at Ajahn Brahm in front of you now, telling the most stupid jokes. I'm surprised you still come here, tell the same old stories every week. I'm surprised you still attend. <laughs> but you do. You don't have to be perfect to be lovable. And the main story of that, which I've said so many times, the most beautiful trees in the forests, the ones which are far from perfect, twisted and bent all over the place, They're gorgeous. And the most beautiful sunset is when there's smoke or clouds on the horizon to spread out the golds and the purples across the horizon, just contrast with the deep blue of the evening. All of those are just show how imperfection can be the most beautiful thing in the world. So, my advice to you, if something is locked up, then throw away the key. Throw away the cell, the prison. Discard everything, it's not really a part of you. The most important part of you is free. You don't have to own that part of you. Sam, in the US. I have chronic disease and anxiety. How should I practice kindness and meditation to provide some healing to my body? Thank you. If you really want to get a lot of healing to your body, just make peace with your sickness. Don't try and get rid of it. That negativity, which is understandable, will just make it worse. Just make peace. Be at ease with where you are and how you are. It's going in the opposite direction that most people feel they should go in. Anxiety? If you have a chronic disease, and that's pretty bad. So what more can happen to you? All your anxiety should go, this is as bad as it gets. What else can go wrong? What is anxiety? Just looking at the future and looking at the two bad bricks in the future. Not realizing, yes, there can be two bad bricks in the future, but there's 998 good things will happen to you in the future as well. So we sometimes bend how we regard the future. So see if we can see the future in a positive light, not too bad bricks. There's some beautiful things which will happen in your future. Wisdom, kindness, friendship. Those things happen as well. Those are the questions which were on the internet there. So how about questions here from those who are attending today?
Yes, Eddie. So, Mr. Eddie? Yeah, you know where Eddie is. He always sits in the same place. <laughs> Ajahn Brahm. Yes, you, you remember talk my about name. applying kindness, you know, and also peace to our problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, doesn't that kindness, you know, the peace comes back to our mind, you know? What I was saying, the mind is the forerunner of all states, okay? Yeah. So, we are applying goodness to the, the problem we have, you know? Yeah. And the problem probably is from our, is probably is from our mind too, from, from, how do I say, accumulation of the negative thoughts, you know, okay? Like, anxiety, causes anxiety, stress, depression, it builds up all these things, okay? Yes. So, yeah, so you're applying from the mind kindness to antidote the thing. Can I say that? Is that you right? You can do, yeah. You look at that. that, that A way, different yeah? way of looking at what yes. you have to experience yeah, in life. Yeah. So you don't get upset or afraid by yeah. it, no matter how badly it is. Mm. You can make peace with it. Yeah. You know, quite a few times when there has been really uh, very dangerous situations, like in that major crown fire we were in many, many years ago, you used to notice that some people did panic. Mm. Their anxiety took hold and they did stupid things. Mm. I still remember this one man, and you may not believe this, but this actually happened, that we were sheltering in our main hall in Bodhinyana during the crown fire. Trees were exploding in flames. And for one reason, he decided to change his trousers. <laughs> so we were all in the car, ready to depart. And where's he gone? And then he came running, and with his, putting his trousers up. <laughs> what do you do that for? You know, a lot of times that people's anxiety causes them to do stupid things. So instead we just learn how to relax. It's one of the things which we're always told, never to run during an emergency. If you run, you trip over, you take more time for yourself and your friends. Just go carefully. Strange thing, mm. but when you're at peace, your mind doesn't overreact with fear, because the mind knows that that is the best way. If it doesn't work, you know, if you're going to pass away, that's not a big deal. You're going to pass away anyway. Most of you are going to end up being cremated. So if you're cremated in a bushfire, it's much cheaper. <laughs> I said that, I've got a stupid sense of humor, I admit that. But, you know, those times when people were afraid of flying because aircraft were getting blown up or shot down. And then people, you know, some of those flights going into Europe, you know, over, where was it, in the Middle East somewhere, they got shot down. And I said, I'm, they asked, am I afraid of being shot down in an aircraft? Of course, I said, of course not. I'm a monk, I'm not afraid of being shot down. And then I mentioned, if you remember the three benefits of being shot down an aircraft explosion. Number one, instant cremation. I was just uh, talking about someone who's doing a cremation today 
you know, not today, but we're talking about the arrangements for their mum. And it's really difficult, expensive, got to arrange all sorts of stuff. In an aircraft, it's done on the spot. And people are always worrying about what to do with the ashes. In an aircraft explosion, that's all taken care of for you, gratis. It's, you know, it's spread all over the, the area. And number two, how expensive are funerals? Something like up to 10,000 bucks, depending on how much you want to do. It's a lot of money, especially these days. If you die at 30,000 feet, your family, or if it was me, the BSWA, don't have to pay anything. They get it all done for free, and they get insurance payout as well. They make money out of me dying. <laughs> and of course, lastly, if you die at 30,000 feet, Eddie, you're so close to heaven, it's so easy to go the rest of the way. You're right next door. <laughs> so, so telling those silly jokes like that, it just shows, I don't mean that as a truth, it just means it takes away fear. One thing which I noticed years ago, you cannot have fear and joy at the same time. One is the antidote of the other. Anyway, thank you, Eddie. You got another? Another one? Yeah, go on. I was going to ask you, just last night, we didn't, you know. So oh, yeah, no, that was yeah, hard last night. Brahm, I read a book, you know, okay? I, I applied this tactic, okay? I think it's from K3 Damanandan, you know. Oh, Asia. yeah. Yeah. It was saying that our mind, okay, if you think good, you feel good. Yeah. If you think bad, you feel bad. It's just like a think good, feel good. It's not that you think good and you feel good and bad. Yeah. No, you, know, you know. So it's just one think good, feel good. So if we, we have to up ourselves by more positive thinking, you know, then we're okay. Yeah. If there's, sometimes we don't realize, you know, it's a negative thinking, and then we, we absorb the negative thinking, and then we yeah. become like, you know, stress, anxiety, depression, it buggers up the whole system. Yeah. You, you imagine, I mean? yeah, I agree so with you. So we have to, as you say, like, apply the kindness, you know. Yeah, to, 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 to up ourselves again. It's much more powerful than that. If, yes. you, pa yeah. if you pacify your thinking, mm -hmm. you pacify your mind. Mm -hmm. If you want to feel peace, mm -hmm. make peace with your thinking. Mm -hmm. If you want to have joy, have fun with your thinking. Mm -hmm. Think the most stupid thought you've ever thought in your life. Have fun. <laughs> Is there any other questions before we finish off? Yeah, over there, yes. <laughs> Please, on, on meditation now. Yeah? I just want to share a mantra with everybody. That Sorry? My I, want to sh I want to share a mantra with everybody. Oh, happy birthday. No, not birthday. I want to share a mantra, a oh. Japanese mantra with everyone. Okay. This is um, my husband have taught me uh, last few months when I was going through a lot of um, rough ages in life, going through an injury. And when I was trying very hard to meditate, I couldn't focus. And he said, use the Japanese mantra 
because I'm hopeless in trying to learn Pali and oh, yeah. do the chanting. So he say, let's do the Japanese mantra together and everyone knows the mantra. Anywhere in the world, everybody knows this Japanese mantra. Really? So it goes like this. Honda Toyota Tokyo Hokkaido That is his Japanese mantra that he taught me and it just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Because laughter is the antidote to fear. Very good. <laughs> okay, so we're over time now. So uh, we finish off now. Thank you for finishing off in a funny way. So now we can bow three times to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And then again, I won't see you again uh, for another few months unless you come down to Bodhinyana Monastery. Please know the monks and the nuns still need to be fed. So don't forget us. <laughs> it's okay for me to forget me because then I'll maybe lose some weight, but some of the others, they need to eat some more. <laughs> but anyway, I wish you all happiness and well-being for the next two or three months. Honda, Toyota, Oops, how we get?